A business is not a business unless that business has clients or customers. And that is the number one reason why you are in business, to be able to provide value to individuals who need the service or the product that you have. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about how do you connect and communicate to those clients so that they become individuals who want to patronize your business and be someone who markets your business by word of mouth. This is going to be a great episode. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Maximize Your Brand podcast with Markeith Braden. You know what I'm about to say. I'm always excited that you join me each and every week for another brand new episode because I am doing my best to bring you the right material, the right content to help you to maximize and monetize your personal brand so that you can stop being the best kept secret and become known and paid for your expertise. And this week, I'm excited to be bringing in a guest who's going to talk to us about the proven ways to discover what matters to your customers, clients, and your stakeholders. And this is so important when it comes to really any type of business. It's, but since we talk about personal brand businesses, it's so important for you to understand who your client is, who your customer is, what are their needs, what are their pain points, and how do you really begin to talk to them in the way that they want to be talked to or create the messaging and the content that will be attractive to them in order to hire you as a speaker, as a consultant, as a trainer, or become a customer in your service-based business. And so this is going to be a great episode. And my guest today is Colin Jeffries. Colin has over a decade of experience helping businesses reach the right audiences at the right time with messages that galvanize them to action. His background in digital marketing, content marketing, advertising, branding, strategy, and segmentation help him to bring a holistic perspective to help organizations grow. Colin has honed his skills by serving in a wide array of industries, including SaaS, financial services, hospitality, home improvement, consulting, and life sciences. In addition to serving a broad range of healthcare practices and providers, Colin is a pioneer in direct-to-patient marketing for addiction recovery. He currently co-hosts the Rethink Marketing Podcast. So this is the guy that we really need to be talking to. Rethink Marketing Podcast leads marketing initiatives for Brightview and serves in advisory roles for several growing companies. And so we're going to go ahead and bring in our guest for today, Mr. Colin Jeffries. Colin, what's going on? Mark Keith, how are you? Thank you so much for having me today. You are so welcome, and I am looking forward to this conversation all around audience and how we really have the right strategies in place in order to be attracting and talking to the right people for our businesses. But I just gave a brief introduction of who you are, and I always like uh, my guests to kind of share a little bit more about their background, their experience. And, you know, anything that you would like for us to know additionally? Yes, absolutely. I think you did a great job with the intro. I don't know that I have too much more to add, but I will just say uh, I currently lead marketing efforts for Brightview. Brightview is a comprehensive outpatient addiction treatment provider. We serve roughly 10,000 patients over four states and primarily we serve the Medicaid population. So one of the biggest issues that I ran into when I first started is if you look at our patient population, our customers, our prospects, common terms in, in branding and marketing and advertising, we had a massive issue, which was 
We didn't know the customer. Not that Brightview didn't know our customers, but the the market in general didn't know them. So, you know, we we can talk uh, as marketers about how do we reach a core audience? What are their psychographics? What are their media consumption habits? Where are they driving? You know, Starbucks did a great job of recognizing first place being home, second place being the office, and then creating that third space of Starbucks. We had no idea where our our patients really were, what their media consumption habits were, things of that nature. So I think one of the fundamental elements of recognizing how are you reaching the right audience, what's important to those stakeholders, is first of all, recognizing what do you have from a baseline perspective with your knowledge, if you will. Yeah, and that's so... So good. And, you know, that's where I really want want to start, you know, really basic um, and, and then maybe work our way to a little bit more complex. But when we say audience, what is an audience? What does that that's a really great, mean to a business? That's a great question. So I like to break the audience into a couple of different segments, if you will. I look at just generally what we would consider prospects. Those are people who are a good fit for your business, but have not done business with you yet. Then you have customers, which are people who have engaged one time. So they, they've had this transaction. Um, and, and then on top of that, you have clients. Those are people who are your advocates. They're an extension of your sales team. They're people that have worked with you, that continue to work with you, that are champions of your brand. And so your audience and impacts and encompasses all three of those um, types of people, if you will, that you're able to then continue interacting with, to continue to build relationships with, because if they haven't bought from you yet, but they've identified that they're interested in your service, you want them to be part of your audience. If they've interacted with you one time, maybe you have multiple tiers and they've engaged in the lowest tier and they haven't come back to grow and to improve their lifetime value to you, those sorts of things, there's definitely an opportunity for you to nurture them, to build that relationship, to help get them into the client stage from the customer stage. And then obviously you want to take your customers and have them go from interacting with your business, from essentially writing checks to you, if you will, to being advocates, to helping you grow your brand. So that's the way that I look at audience is trying to nurture people and help them sort of cross these different thresholds. And sometimes we get stuck in the mentality that this is a linear trajectory, that people start as prospects, then they move to customers, and then eventually they become clients. And then after their clients, they become these raving fans of our business, as Chick-fil-A calls them. But I, I think a lot of times folks will kind of move from prospect to customer, and then maybe they move back to prospect. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it can be kind of interesting just to navigate their consumer sales journey. Yeah. So we have prospects customers and clients, which really helps to set up, you know, the interview uh, for today. So remember that, write that down, make sure you write down Colin's um, three point perspective on what an audience is. And that is you first have prospects. These are individuals who are are cold, warm, uh, maybe have never purchased anything, never done business with you. Then you have customers. And he said that your customers are individuals who may have only purchased something one time and they've had that experience. But your clients, which you would want most people to get to, are those advocates, you know, because we say that word of mouth is the best marketing for any business where you want advocates for your business. And so, Colin, what I would like to do is really kind of go through those three in a little bit more detail. And when you talk about prospects, how do I really go about identifying prospects, you know, as far as where are they, you know, how do I, you know, touch them? How do I get in front of them? You know, how do I go about identifying my prospects so that they know what type of service or business that I have? Marquise, that is the million and or billion dollar question. And I'll, I'll answer that with a, a story. And I hope okay. that your audience can sort of track along and figure out how this applies to them and, and gain some insight based on my experience for ways that this can apply to their business. So when I started leading marketing initiatives at Brightview, we, we knew kind of who our clients were, our customers were, right? We knew that they were, were folks who um, struggled with substance use disorder, 
and were, you know, in, in their mid thirties, a lot of them struggled with homelessness. A lot of them struggled or housing insecurity. A lot of them struggled with unemployment. Uh, many of them were uninsured or were on Medicaid, those sorts of things. So when you think about ways that you consume traditional media, TV, it's usually on your couch or in your bed when you're in your apartment or, or at your house. Well, if you're housing insecure, you're probably not watching TV in the same way that traditionally we think of streaming Netflix or streaming Amazon Prime or you know watching cable, those sorts of things. If you are um, driving from your house to your job, then you're seeing billboards, you're listening to the radio, you're downloading and listening to podcasts. But if you're not employed, or you don't have reliable transportation, you're probably not engaging in that sort of behavior. So you're more difficult to reach because you're not consuming those types of media. Similarly, if you're somebody who is um, is not regularly engaging with news content online, so maybe you're, you're not going online and checking the weather, you're not going online and reading about the, the latest faux pas by a, a particular politician or what have you, you're not going online and in reading news content, then you're really difficult to reach with retargeting ads or with banner ads and, and um, sponsored content, things of that nature. So right. what we did to try to figure out where is our audience actually spending their time online, we asked them. And I know that's revolutionary and I know that's shocking. And many people right now are going to turn this podcast off because they just heard everything they need to know to be better marketers. But literally we this was pre-COVID when you could do this sort of thing. We sat across the table from actual clients of Brightview, patients, because it's a healthcare provider. And we said, hey, when you were in active addiction, where were you consuming media? Were, were you on Facebook? Were you on Instagram? Were you watching television? Were you listening to the radio? And they told us, oh man, when I was in active addiction, you know what I was doing? I was watching YouTube. We said, oh, interesting. And, and that kept coming up again and again and again. And so then we decided we had this, this sort of qualitative data where we'd done these interviews and we talked to these patients and we figured out, okay, here's where they said that they were. Now let's do some qualitative data and let's survey the thousands of patients that Brightview has with a three question survey and ask them a couple of really simple questions. Where were you consuming media when you were in active addiction? What types of media were you consuming? And then essentially, like, did you have a smartphone or not? Mm. Because we had some hypotheses around these and we got great responses and we were able to figure out, hey, 90% of our patients when they were in active addiction were watching videos on YouTube. About 85% of them had smartphones. And so what that meant to us is now we know where our customers say that they're spending their time. We know where we're able to engage them. And then we're able to move them from that prospect stage to that customer stage, to that patient stage or client stage in a way that we sort of understand their model now. So I don't think it's as simple as sort of looking at market research documents. It may not need to be as complex as designing a survey and sending it out to your existing customer base or your existing prospects, if, if that's most applicable to you. But there are definitely rooms, there is definitely room for conversation where you, you can explore how are you consuming content? Where are you spending your time? And then how do I reach you with messaging that actually moves you to pick up the phone, to fill out a website form, to download whatever I'm trying to get you to do? And so we took that to the next level. We built out based on what we knew was, was um, effective with patients in the past, we built out some ideas. We said, okay, here's our call to action. Here are a couple of elements that we're considering using for headlines, for billboards, for um, direct mail pieces, those sorts of things. We sat down with patients and we said, hey, here are 10 items. What, what do you think about these? How do you react? How does this make you feel? And we mm -hmm. listened to them and they told us this is off-putting. This is really engaging. And this one's you know lukewarm, kind of mediocre. I don't know that it would get me to pick the phone up but it's informational or something of that nature. And so we, we took those sort of 10 pieces that we'd hypothesized that we thought would work really well. We tested them with patients in real time. We got their feedback. And then we, we out of that, we had three really strong pieces. And you get contradictory feedback. Not everyone right. is going to say, hey, let me speak for all of your prospects when I tell you that that's perfect and it speaks to me and I'm going to pick the phone up. If it was that easy, we'd all have 100% conversion rates, right? Unfortunately, it's not. But that does really help when you're developing your messaging, when you're understanding what matters to my customers, what matters to my prospects, what matters to the people that I want to move from the customer phase to the client phase. And once we understand that, then we're able to really, really help empower them to move themselves along that, that trajectory. 
And that's so good, you know, that sometimes we think it's some of the most complex, complicated things in order to really know who our prospect is so that we can move them through our customer journey or our business model journey. And something as simple as just a questionnaire, a survey, uh, sending out to, to individuals who you may think who you might think are your potential customers and clients and just getting feedback from them. You know, I have had so many coaches, one in particular that comes to mind, and she always teaches on the reason why her business is successful, profitable, and she knows what we need is because she's always asking questions and she's always writing down the answers to those questions when we give them, right? And she always caters her marketing, her next offer, her next membership program or online course around what the answers were to those questions. That is exactly right. The worst thing you can possibly do is ask someone for their opinion and then ignore it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting in in my interactions with our patients, Markeith, you're well-read, very intelligent. You have your own podcast. I'm sure people very, very, very much value your opinion. So you're probably used to people coming to you and saying, Markeith, I've got this business idea. I've got this consulting idea. I've got this client generating idea, what have you. Like, what do you think about that? But if you put yourselves in the shoes of someone Mm. who is used to being kind of written off by society, who's used to being stigmatized, who's not used to having people look up to them and value their opinion, It's even more crucial for me to talk to them, to get their opinions, and then to implement and take action based on that because now they're excited to give their opinion. They're they're thrilled that someone actually cares what they think and how they respond or feel based on certain stimuli like ad language, for example. And so it's, it's sometimes difficult as marketers because we have this hypothesis that we want to test. We go into the market, we, we talk to potential prospects or potential clients or however you want to look at it, and they shoot it down. They say, oh, that really that really turns me off. I'm not right. going to call based on that, right? And, and maybe we test it in a live environment. We write the AdWords copy and the click-through rate's really low. We write the copy for a banner ad and the, the click-through rate or the conversion rate's really low. And so there are opportunities for us to test these things in real life. But the ability to recognize a learning and then implement it, that's huge. I'm really glad that you called that out. So good. So good. And so now we, we're prospecting. We, we're getting answers to some of the questions that we have so that we can move those prospects into buying customers. The call to action is from prospect to customer to client. And so I just mentioned a phrase that a lot of people uh, may not hear often, but why is it important now for the prospect to have a call to action to become a customer? So this is going to sound a little uh, simple, and, and I hate to oversimplify it, but the, the honest truth is people don't do what you don't ask them to do. In other words, if my entire objective of my website is for someone to pick the phone up and call, And I never at any point on my website say, please call or click now to call or call 24 seven or any sort of call to action that would direct them to call. It it would be no wonder that people aren't calling my website or from my website. So this is a a very, very simple thing. Again, I, I hate to oversimplify marketing, but you have to know what you want to do. We as marketers have to know what we expect our prospects to do. And maybe that's fill out a form. Maybe you have a, a white paper or some great educational materials or um, a, a case study that you put behind a gate, meaning that you require somebody's name and their email address or their phone number, something of that nature. So you can put them into your database. You can keep following up with them because they have now self-identified as a prospect. But it's so important to understand the value of those creatively crafted calls to action. And one of the great ways to do that is to use some sort of site optimization tool. If you're talking about a website in particular, like Optimizely or Hotjar or Crazy Egg, where you can actually measure how many people are clicking the button to call. If assuming that calling is your call to action, then you can see, okay, 10% of people are are clicking to call. 3% of people are clicking to call. 0.01% of people are clicking to call. Man, maybe I need to rethink my call to action here because maybe I'm getting a lot of website traffic. I'm getting a lot of people that are sort of self-identifying as prospects, as being interested in the service or the product that I'm offering. 
but they're not calling. And so if my call to action isn't clear, then all of a sudden it becomes really, really difficult to move folks from prospect to customer. Wow. I hope I didn't oversimplify that. No, and I, and I would I would like for you to say those resources again, uh, as far as when you have a call to action, you want to really be able to track what's happening. And so what were some of those resources, again, that could capture that? Yes, absolutely. So I have personally used Crazy Egg. I currently use Hotjar. Um, I'm familiar with Optimizely, and there are other ones as well that do the same types of service where you can do things like heat mapping on your website. So how far down people are scrolling, how many eyeballs you're getting on different pieces of content on your site. They'll also do things like um, confetti mapping. So you can tell where people are clicking on their phones or on desktop. So if you have um, navigation, for example, on, on the side, we'll say you have side navigation and people are clicking on the first three items and then they're ignoring the fourth item and then they're clicking on the fifth item, you might want to consider moving the fifth item to the fourth position so it's a little bit more visible and then maybe taking the fourth item off because no one's clicking on it. So they really help you to do what's called conversion rate optimization or what used to be called um, UI UX design where you're seeing how people are actually interacting with your website. And this comes back to knowing the voice of the customer, right? right? If you're sitting across the table from someone and they're telling you, here's how I consume media, or you're watching a recording of them on your website, or you're looking at heat mapping, it's just aggregate data of how people are actually interacting with your website. And that can be a, a deep and valuable insight. And honestly, those tools are not that expensive and you don't have mm -hmm. to run them in perpetuity. You can run a couple of reports for a couple of months, get some really valuable data, make those changes that, that you've recognized and identified using those tools, and then maybe wait a few months and then run another test. It, it doesn't have to be something where 24 seven, 365, you're testing things on your website, especially if you are a solopreneur or you run a very small shop where you might have two, three, four, five consultants and your web traffic is a few thousand hits a month. You probably don't need to be constantly obsessing over the conversion rate on your website. Rather, if you're able to improve it incrementally by running those types of tests periodically, that can make a big impact on your bottom line revenue. Nice, nice, nice. And so now we've given them a call to action to become a customer. What are the things or what advice would you give us now that we have identified our, our audience, we kind of know what their needs are, what their pain points are, We've given them a call to action with something that we're offering and they become a customer. What do we need to do to nurture the customer? Or what is it that we need to do in this phase when once they become the customer and we're delivering whatever it is that we said we would deliver? So there are two things that I would say are absolutely paramount in moving people from customers to clients. The first thing is obsess over experience. And we know this when we see it, but it's often hard to replicate it. And what that means is uh, marketing is not just a department. You can't say the marketing people over there, the agency, the fractional CMO, the, the whoever's advertising and driving business to me, it, they handle the marketing and then we handle the fulfillment. Instead, Re reframing that and thinking we are all marketers. If I have two employees or 2000 employees, every time someone picks the phone up for a prospects call, for a vendor call, for a client call, whatever, that's marketing. Every time I knock on a door, every time somebody walks into my showroom, every time somebody visits my website, that experience impacts the way that they see your brand. And it either increases the value of your brand or it decreases the value of your brand. If somebody goes on my website and it's phenomenal, they have a great experience. They think very positively of my brand. My call to action says call 24 seven. They call me and I pick up. Yep. What? How can I help you? Huh? All of a sudden, ooh. That, that brand strikes me the wrong way. The, the brand is totally different on the phone than the brand is online. And so what that then happens is my marketing team is doing a great job with the website. On the back end, I'm doing a horrible job answering the phone. So recognizing those pain points, obsessing over the, the experience that anybody, a prospect, a customer, a client has when they interact with your brand is crucial. The second thing I would say is not every customer 
becomes a good client. There's the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule that talks about how 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients and then 80% of your headaches come from 20% of your clients, right? And so sometimes you look at that and you think, this person who's a customer is already complaining. They want their money back. They have this issue. They're already bad mouthing me online. They're probably a terrible client. And I don't want somebody like that continuing to engage with my brand because I don't want to have to constantly be talking to them about refunding them. I don't want to have to constantly be battling them about some discrepancy that that they conjured up or that they've perceived to happen. So obsess over the, the experience of every customer, getting them from prospect to client to customer, how they're interacting with every element of your brand website, phone number. Again, if you have some sort of physical location, your office space, your conference rooms, your your showroom, et cetera. And then also recognizing, you know, not everyone is a great customer and we all have very limited time and to be servicing customers who might be low margin, high complaint, high headache, when we can instead be servicing customers who are high margin, high engagement, great referral partners for us and things of that nature, that's really where we want to be spending our time. So I think those are probably the, the two pieces of wisdom that I've learned. Um, I've earned them over many, many difficult years. Hopefully people can hear those and they can say, oh gosh, I'm, I'm glad that I yeah. listened to Colin instead of having him have to figure that out over 10 years or uh, having me figured out yeah, uh, on their behalf. That customer experience is key, right? Because you want Absolutely. them to have the, the best experience possible with your product, with your service so that they move to the next level and become a client, become that advocate. And talk to us a little bit about why the client is so important to your business, to your business reputation, to your brand. Why is the client so important to the business? Well, customers are expensive. Yeah. I mean, if, if your churn rate is 100% a year, let's say, that means that every couple of months you're having to go back out and find new clients from your prospects. You're burning through your list of, of prospects. That means you have to keep filling the top of the funnel. You have to keep maturing them from the top to the middle, and then you have to keep maturing the middle to the bottom. Constant, 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 constant. And marketing's not free. If you're investing in a search engine optimization plan, if you're investing in content marketing, if you're investing in even managing your social media, if you're investing in online reputation management, all of these things to get new prospects, to then turn them into customers, to then drive them to be new clients. If you can, instead of trying to fill the customer gap, move customers into client mode, where there's this recurring revenue, this recurring relationship, they already know you, they already like you, they already trust you, then all of a sudden, instead of you having to focus on driving more business from new prospects, getting them to become customers, now we're able to focus on servicing great client accounts. And yeah, when when new customers come in, great, we'll service them. We'll give them a great experience. We'll make sure that that we're um, maturing them into the client stage. But it's just far more effective, far more profitable, far more enjoyable, frankly, in a lot of regards to have constant clients that respect you, that understand your business model, that aren't haggling with you over price all the time, that aren't fighting you on um, perceived discrepancies or what have you right. that instead are like, man, Mark Keith, he does a great job. You don't need to go anywhere else. Let me tell you about the ways that he helped me build my brand, build my audience, build mm-hmm. my engagement, etc. And those are the, the best types of people because not only are they continuing to engage with you, but oftentimes they're helping share your content. They're helping build your mm-hmm. audience. They're making warm referrals and warm handoffs to you. So I don't think it, it's possible to overstate the value of happy clients who continue to bring you new prospects, new customers, and so on. Three stages, prospect, customer, client, and that client, those testimonials, you know, I can't stress enough how, especially if you're in the coaching, consulting, you know, speaking industry, really any business. This is why I want to do this conversation. Testimonials go a long way and always encourage my clients get as many. I like video testimonial testimonials as possible uh, of people utilizing your service and what their uh, end result was and working with you to be able to share on your website, to be able to share in your uh, one page or PDF for just to be able to have on hand. If somebody asks you, well, can you send me an email with a few of your client tech? client testimonials so that I can know that you are legit, so that I can know that you do provide a high level of service that's exceptional and and why I should be exchanging my hard-earned money with you. So testimonials are 
good. The beautiful thing about testimonials is if I told you, and I don't think this, but for the sake of argument, if, if I told you, Mark Keith, I'm the best marketer in the entire world. That would sound arrogant, self-serving, narcissistic, horrendous, right? Nobody wants to say that. But if you said, man, I talked to Colin, he's the best marketer in the world. People might see that as a little tongue in cheek. They might see it as a little grandiose, if you will, but your opinion carries weight. And you might've had an experience with me that says, wow, this person is fantastic. Look what they did for me. And you're able to say things that when you say it, they're genuine, they're authentic, they're valuable. And when I say it, it's it's off-putting and narcissistic, right? Mm -hmm. So I, don't be afraid to leverage those testimonials. And let's be honest, we live in a commoditized world of testimonials. Everyone's so used to pulling their phone out or hopping on their desktop, going to Amazon and looking at hundreds of star ratings over a long period of time in many instances. We're used to looking at Yelp or looking at Google My Business and seeing, I don't want to go to that restaurant because it's 3.5 stars with 500 reviews. I want to go to this one that's 4.8 with 400 reviews, right? Yeah. And we're so review centric that oftentimes, and I think reviews are a little bit of a heuristic where we don't want to take the time to think about and process small decisions like where am I going to go to eat? Which pair of socks am I going to buy? That sort of thing, right? So we just look at it and we think, oh, there's social validation here. Hundreds of people have had a good experience and, and we recognize there's some outliers. But if we're able to then take that and say, now on Colin's website, on Markeith's website, on whatever your client's websites are, we're able to go on and see, okay, here's a long form testimonial that's text. Here's a video testimonial like you were talking about. Here is a star rating based on reviews. Then all of a sudden there's this social validation, this sort of heuristic where we're able to, to use a mental shortcut to place value, to place validity on a particular service or product. So I, I could not agree with you more, Marky. So good. So remember that prospects, customer, client, prospect, customer, client. Hey, just popping in real quick to say two things. Thank you for listening to the Maximize Your Brand podcast each and every week. And number two, I want to let you know that I am offering a brand new program called Laser Coaching with Markeith Brayton. I know you have dreams. I know you have aspirations and things that you want to do. And sometimes you just need a little bit of accountability to get you moving in the direction that you desire to go in. I can remember back in 2014, when I first got laid off my job, I had a decision to make. Was I going to pursue my dream or was I going to go back to the nine to five rat race that I just did not enjoy. And the only thing that really helped me to make that decision was that I invested in myself and got coaching. And that coaching was tremendous in my making the decision to keep going and pursuing my entrepreneurial dream of becoming a professional speaker and a digital personal brand coach. And today, I want to make that same offered opportunity to you, that if you're ready to move to your next level, if you're ready to learn how to leverage your personal brand for a business, then this opportunity is great for you. Laser Coaching with Markeith Braden. It's a three-month time frame where you get up to 15 to 30 minutes unlimited laser coaching. But there is one caveat. You have to make sure that you finish the homework from each coaching session before you schedule a new one. And once again, it is for a 90-day time frame and it's unlimited coaching, 15 to 30 minutes. You can schedule as many as you want as long as you do your homework in between the sessions before you schedule your next session. So if you are interested in laser coaching and this offer, I want you to go to markeithbrayton.com forward slash laser coaching. That's markeithbrayton.com forward slash laser coaching. And let's move you in the direction that you want to move in because sometimes you just need a little bit of accountability to help you along the way. I look forward to seeing you signing up for Laser Coaching with Marquise Brayton.
Well, I have a couple of more questions uh, around marketing. You know, so now that we understand the foundation of prospects, customer, client, you know, I think it's key for us to have some conversation to help the listening audience to better understand marketing. I firmly believe that your business is as successful as your systems and your marketing. <laughs> I believe but, that, like, you know, marketing gets them in the door. Your system is what gives them the right experience they need to keep them in your business model. And so as it pertains to personal branding and really being a, what I like to say, an expert-based business, uh, talk to us a little bit about why content marketing is important to start having those prospects to move through your business model. Definitely. Well, what for starters, content marketing is not important for everyone, but all of your prospects, all of your potential customers think you are a media production house. And so what does that mean exactly from a, a realistic perspective? It means that they're used to going on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, where wherever they're spending their time, right? Maybe they're used to looking at blogs. Maybe they're used to watching um, YouTube channel, etc. And they're used to seeing realtors, mortgage brokers, marketers, personal branding experts, um, financial coaches, and so on and so forth produce voluminous content. And so if you are not in that conversation, if you're not staying top of mind, it, and we see this in the marketing space, right? People are not l asking around to get marketing advice. Generally speaking, they're going on Google and they're asking for marketing advice. They're going on YouTube and asking for marketing advice. They're downloading podcasts and asking for marketing advice, right? We're, we're sort of losing that kind of interpersonal referral connection in a lot of somewhat commoditized spaces. And so recognizing I'm a media house, I need to be producing, and you don't have to do all these at once. And I would advise against doing all of these at once, but right. maybe you look at it and you say, Hey, my customers are spending a lot of time on YouTube. Therefore I need to have a very robust YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden you inv start investing that time and that experience in building out your YouTube channel. Maybe your customers or your prospects are spending a lot of time on uh, online reading text content, reading blogs. So maybe you, instead of starting a YouTube channel, you start a, a robust blog and you start to drive some engagement on your blog, either through paid advertising or through sponsorships or through partnerships, things of that nature to really drive those eyes, if you will, to your blog. So th there's a, a lot of elements that go into content marketing. The biggest thing I would say is really understanding what your customers need. It kind of circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning, because if they want content about you and it's authentic and it's genuine genuine, and it's your story and it's how you help people and it's client stories and it's success and those sorts of things, that's great. But if, if they're a little bit more tactical, if they want more how-to guides, if they want uh, what we call listicles, you know, the top three things you need to know about X, right. maybe that's a really good place to start. So um, my one recommendation with content marketing is don't be overwhelmed. Right now, it's so easy to say, oh man, I need um, I need TikTok videos. I need a Clubhouse account. I need to be posting on LinkedIn. I need to be writing a blog. I need a podcast. I need a YouTube channel. I need um, you know, to, to build my website out. And, and there are just this litany of things that we feel like we need to do. But if we recognize, hey, there, there's a, a phrase that I use a lot called shrink your universe, right? And if we recognize, man, my prospects mostly are spending time on YouTube right. just as an example. Mm -hmm. That's where I need to be focused or my prospects are spending a lot of time listening to podcast content. That's where I need to be focused. And when you have one system really built out with great experience, when you become an expert and you reach the pinnacle of podcasting, then maybe it's time to expand and do a blog or mm -hmm. A lot of times you can create once and then publish on multiple platforms. Yeah. So you might have a live stream podcast that you push out on Facebook and then you take that video and you upload it to your LinkedIn channel and then you add it to your YouTube channel as well. And so for an investment of a few extra minutes, you've taken one asset from a single channel to three channels and that increases your visibility that helps you yes. to be found more mm -hmm. and then it allows your customers to then consume your content or your prospects or your clients whatever to, to consume and then share your content on their channel of choice mm -hmm. versus sorry i'm only on youtube you have to find me there not on spotify not on apple podcast not on wherever yeah and that's my exact strategy which is why i love video because i will stream uh simulcast uh, my podcast videos across all the platforms. And that way, 
I'm hitting all of them at, at one time. And then because LinkedIn is not a part of the platform that I like to to use to do like pre-recorded video, I'll literally just stream it directly to LinkedIn the following day so that that content exists there on LinkedIn as well. So awesome. That's awesome a great advice. model. Yeah. I, and, and, and I love, you know, you have to choose the tool that best works for you when you're marketing. I just love, I chose podcasting one because I'm a speaker. I enjoy video. Um, and I didn't start it out with video. I started just doing audio, but then I was like, man, how far, how much more content rich would it be if it's video? Now I can, you know, strip the the audio from the video. Now I can have video snippets around a particular topic from different guests or what have you. And that can be my weekly content. And I'm not necessarily creating anything new or I could also have the podcast transcribed to be a blog on my website. So there you go. That's that's where not being overwhelmed comes in. When you kind of really are intentional about thinking about the type of uh, content you want to create so that it works best for the type of business that you want. That Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. A yeah. lot of us have assets that we can translate into these different mediums. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of kind of sitting down, recognizing what's the most efficient or effective way to do that, and then automating that into our process. Correct. Correct. Good. One more question around marketing, and I like this. I got it from your your PDF that you sent me, and that is, you know, what can a B2C, which uh, many of my clients would be B2C, learn, what can they learn from effective B2B marketing? Like, how can they take a few things from the B2B market to, and when we say B2B, just so that we can uh, help everybody on the same uh, level and understand what I'm saying, B2C is business to customer or business to client. B2B would be business to business. What can the business to client type of business learn from the business to business type of uh, business when it comes to marketing? Well, I think it's a great question. There are lots of things that great B2B marketers can learn from great B2C customers. There are lots of things, obviously, that I think B2C customers can learn from great B2B customers as well. So to answer your question, there are, I think, three primary things that all kind of unpack that B2B tend to do really, really well, and B2C tend to sometimes miss the, the boat on. So the first one is recognizing the longevity of relationships. B2B marketers are really good at recognizing this person doesn't buy from us one time, they buy from us every single month, or they buy from us every single quarter, or we're looking for a 10-year relationship. We're negotiating a three-year deal, right? They're not looking at somebody coming in the door and saying, all right, they're probably going to buy from us one time and then we'll find another customer and then we'll service that customer. They'll buy from us a couple of times and then we'll wait for another customer to come in. They'll buy from us one time, right? They're looking at this going, hey, we're moving right from prospect to client. We want this person to buy from us repeatedly over the next 15 years. I think that's really important. The second thing that B2B marketers do that we'll talk about now because there are a whole litany of them that I think business to consumer marketers can learn from really well is there's a closeness and an alignment of the sales team and the marketing team. And sometimes in small shops, the sales and marketing people are one person, but in a lot of instances, there's sort of a marketing agency and then the sales is done on the back end. Meaning if, if you have three people and they're all individual agents or they're all individual consultants, you have a marketing vendor who does advertising and gets prospects to come in the door and then you go try to close them on the back end. And so there's oftentimes this misalignment of the priorities that sales has and the priorities that marketing has. And so recognizing in great, great B2B businesses, they're able to look at those and say, okay, the sales team has to be involved the entire scope of the process. When we're creating content, when we're, when we're identifying our target audience, when we're coming up with messaging, then all of a sudden we get buy-in from the sales team. Marketing is aligned with that and we can be very, very successful. And so B2C can obviously learn from that as well. And then the, the third thing that I'll throw out there is that B2B brands oftentimes 
don't talk down to prospects. Hmm. They recognize that it will be a, a group making the buying decision. And so some of those people will have great technical expertise. Some of them will not. Some of them will be great negotiators. Some of them will not. And so you recognize a sort of mixed group of, of people from a skill set perspective, from a background perspective, maybe from an expertise perspective. And so a lot of successful B2B brands understand they have to go in and address everybody, not like their um, their kids, right? Where you're trying to get them on the same page. That's talking down to them, but rather coming up at it in a way where everyone sort of understands what's going on. You're you're treating them like adults. You're, you're talking to them like they're um, successful business people, successful engineers, successful negotiators, and, and so on. And and it's really nice to see that sort of respect for the buyer because I think a lot of that's driven by the fact that many B2B sales are tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, or at least hundreds of dollars, right? It, depending on what you're buying, you might be buying a software that's hundred of, hundreds of dollars per license per month, mm -hmm. and you have a team of thousands of people that you're, you're going to license for the right. software. So just recognizing kind of those three things not talking down to prospects, alignment of sales and marketing, and then of course the longevity of those relationships are um, three things that, that pop into my head talking about the effective B2B marketers that can be reflected from effective B2C marketing. And the reverse is true. Like I said, there are lots of things that I think you know, B2B marketers can learn from B2C marketers. Such valuable content, such valuable nuggets that we got in today's podcast episode as we discussed the topic of ways to discover what matters to your customers, stakeholders, your clients, and they even got a little bit of marketing tips in there. So I am so appreciative of Colin uh, joining me for this episode. And Colin, I always give each guest an opportunity to kind of share some final remarks just to encourage those who are entrepreneurs, business owners who really may feel a little overwhelmed in connecting with the right client, customer, and, and understanding how to properly market to them. So what would you say in, in this final uh, scene of the podcast to them to encourage them uh, uh, in their business? You know, we, we live in a world of metrics and it's so easy oftentimes for me to look at a, a you know, Brightview's website, for example, and look at kind of a similar size provider or somebody in a similar space and to go, gosh, I'm just not getting the web traffic that they're getting. Or for me to look at industry benchmarks for conversions and say, man, I'm just, I'm just not converting as well as industry average in this, in this particular metric. And things of that nature, right? It's so easy for us to compare. And so what what I would say to somebody who's an entrepreneur or because it's it's difficult to be out there hustling when you see other people being successful, you see other people getting invites, getting awards, getting recognition, accolades. And maybe if you're not hitting those metrics, it, it's difficult. It can be demoralizing. So instead of looking at how are other people doing relative to me, looking at how am I doing relative to how I was doing six months ago, three months ago, 12 months ago, however long that, that you want to drag out that longitudinal data, right? And and I try to do that, right? Is not, is the Brightview website doing better than this competitor website, but it, are we doing better now? Are we ranking better? Are we getting more search traffic? Are we converting better than we were three months ago? Because the answer should be yes. And if we're not, we're doing something wrong. We, we misunderstood a learning and we misapplied it, right? Something of that nature. And, and then similarly, you know, are we serving more patients? Are we providing better experiences? Are we converting more people from prospect to customer to client? And, and it, so I, I think my last bit of wisdom, if you will, if, if you can call it that, because I think this is kind of common knowledge, but it never hurts to have those sort of known truths reiterated mm. is look at yourself. Are you building a more robust email list? Are you reaching more people online? Are you helping more customers. And it could be that, are you cutting loose bad customers and then focusing your energy and your efforts mm, on getting better good. customers that will turn into better clients? Yeah, that's good. I like that last part. Are you cutting loose the customers who really are not the ideal customer for your business? Because they're just taking up space from those who would be more of an ideal client. Awesome. Awesome. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Colin, before we go, let the people know how they can uh, learn more about you, where they can reach out to you, website, social media channels, so on and so Absolutely. forth. Absolutely. 
So my social media platform of choice is LinkedIn. You can just do a search for Colin Jeffries. It's linkedin.com slash in slash C-O-L-I-N-J-E-F-F-R-I-E-S, Colin Jeffries. Um, Let me know you heard me on the Maximize Your Brand podcast. I would love to connect and stay in touch. And then I have a podcast called the Rethink Marketing Podcast. You can find that at rethinkmarketingpodcast.com or on every major platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, and so on and so forth. So please feel free to give that a listen if you found this conversation valuable and you think that you would be interested in hearing from some expert marketers that know a little bit more than I do or a lot more than I do in some cases. And then my co-host and I like to unpack a variety of marketing and sales related topics, some cultural topics as well, uh, making sure that you know, you're know you hiring the right people, you're promoting the right people, you're training the right people, those sorts of things. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Great episode. Colin, I want to thank you again for joining me and dropping some of those valuable nuggets around you know, connecting with our ideal audience and the things that we can do to make sure that we're marketing to the right individuals. I also want to thank you, the listening audience each and every week who comes in, whether that be on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever, Google Play Music to listen to the podcast. But I do have one request. If you have not gone on any of those platforms, particularly iTunes and rated and left a review for us, I would invite you to do so to if you're listening to this particular episode, go and leave us a review of what you thought about the interview and where you thought about the information that Colin um, provided us this episode and also leave us a five star. Yes, I'm going to request a five star rating for this episode. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform and search for Maximize Your Brand Podcast with Mark Keith Brayton, and there you'll find all of the episodes. Also, I encourage you to reach out to me. Send me emails of individuals who you think we would want to interview for the podcast that you believe would bring great value. And you can reach out to us at Markeith at markeithbrayton.com and hey share your insight and share those guests that you think we should reach out to interview we're here each and every wednesday with a brand new episode and i look forward to sharing more and more episodes to help you to maximize and monetize your personal brand so that you can stop being the best kept secret and become known and paid for your expertise that will help you to live the life that you crave. But until next week, stay safe and just remember this, always shoot for the top because it's the bottom that's overcrowded. Take care.